Do, 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 do. Attention Pacific Northwest, both the Canadian side and the American side. Stuff You Should Know is coming to you live. That's right. And this, combined with Seattle and San Francisco, which we've just completed, mm-hmm. will be our, I would say, our only true West Coast dates this year. So true. So if you are anywhere near Portland or Vancouver, mm-hmm. then come on out and see us. Yep, so we're going to be in Vancouver at the Chan Center on Sunday, March 29th. And then the next night, we're going to go on down to Portland. And this time, we're going to be at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall, which is a beautiful room. We'll be there for the first time. And that's going to be on Monday, March 30th. That's right. We've stepped it up in venue size, so don't make fools of us, please. (laughs) Right. So you can go get tickets and all the info you need at sysklive.com. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there. There's guest producer Josh T. Rocking it out. (laughs) And this is Stuff You Should Know. Take two a dish. Yeah. One of the rare second takes. That's right. We lost a whole 14 seconds of uh, try number one. <laughs> right. It wasn't any good anyway. That's uh, what it was. Josh turned into like Elvis Costello. was like, no, no, stop, stop. Oh, wow. Look at that mm-hmm. reference. <laughs> a little SNL callback. Yeah, it was. Nice. So um, as you can tell, Chuck, I'm pretty excited about this episode, which is kind of surprising because talking about 911 seems like it might be the most boring thing we could talk about. Oh, you think? Untrue. What, with all the people dying and well, yeah. cats stuck in trees? Sure. <laughs> what else? Um, I should name everything you shouldn't call 911 for. Uh, let's see. Neighbors playing his music too loud, that's yeah, one. Exactly. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff you shouldn't call 911 for, which yeah. we'll talk about. Sure. But um, one thing, like I, I, I am familiar with 911. I remember growing up as a child in the 80s, and I was like, I remember hearing about this new system that was coming around when I was growing up in Toledo. Yeah. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense because 911, it turns out, has been around at least since 1968 in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's been around way longer in, in parts in, of the U.S. Though. In U.K. Yeah. <clears throat> True. But I like to think of Toledo as kind of a happening spot. Sure. Toledo <laughs> didn't get a fully functional 911 system until 1989. Did you look it up? Yeah. So you you guys uh, resorted to the previous method, which was uh, run down the street screaming <laughs> for neighbors. Just swinging a cat by its tail. <laughs> yeah. That was your siren. Yeah, I seem to remember, I don't know exactly when we got it, but I think I remember it happening. Like, because if I, if I remember correctly, when I was a kid, we had one of those little cards next to the kitchen phone that had mm-hmm. police, fire, right. and whatever else. So that had to have been pre-911 or else we wouldn't have had that dumb thing. Right. Yeah, that, that would just confuse the children. <laughs> right. Call these numbers first. And right. then if they don't answer, call 911. Yeah, then do the super easy thing that will route it to the correct person, right. child. <laughs> Your parents have just taken out a substantial life insurance policy on you. Yeah, for uh, <laughs> that's a long that's a long game right there. It is. So Chuck, as new as 911 is, even though it seems old, mm-hmm. right? Especially for our younger listeners, I would guess that it seems pretty They probably think it's been around mm-hmm. since, you know. Horse and buggy days? Yeah. Since rotary phone days? Yeah. Right. So um, as 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 old as it is or as new as it is, it's gotten pretty uh, 
Robust? Very robust. <laughs> yeah, every year, uh, these are some stats that uh, our buddy Dave Roos helped us compile. Uh, 240 million calls in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That is 650,000 calls a day. Yeah, that's like 900,000 calls a minute. No. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I just did that back of the envelope. You made me du- double take that. <laughs> I noticed. Uh, and another important thing here is that 80% of calls these days are from your uh, wireless phone. That's a big deal. It is, which we'll get to, but um, it, that, that changed things. Yeah, the big spoiler is is that the 911 system that we current, currently use in the United States mm-hmm. is hopelessly antiquated. And they're working on improving it, mm-hmm. and nothing that we should say about how antiquated it is should keep you from calling 911. It still right. generally works, but it's having trouble or it's had trouble traditionally keeping pace with the massive sweeping changes in telecommunications yeah. that has has gone on in the last couple decades. Yeah, because telecom is always trying to move forward and they don't think like, oh, but maybe we should slow the pace for 911. Right, exactly. You know? And plus, I mean, 911, we'll see those systems are built alongside the other system. So when the other system leads forward, they have to go through and rebuild yeah. this the system that's just for 911. Because you can't get rid of an old system because people, well, we'll get to that stuff. We'll get to that. Let's not spoil it. But uh, we were laughing earlier about things that you should and should not call for. Um, some of these are debatable, I think. Oh, yeah? I think so. Says who? Says me. Okay. We'll get to the, the last one, really, is the only one that's debatable. But obviously, if, if there's a fire or smoke that you think is a fire. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Medical emergency. And you can't, you know, obviously get in an ambulance or get in a, get in your car and run someone to the emergency room if you can, if it's quicker and you can do so safely. It's quicker and cheaper. Oh, well, sure. Cost of gas, maybe a couple tolls, who knows, compared to like an ambulance ride. No, that's a, that's a good uh, point. But I mean, I imagine if you're home just loaded and your kid gets hurt, <laughs> right? you should probably call 911. Call, yeah, call 911. Uh, car accidents, of course, um, if they <laughs> are major enough and, like, have injuries, yeah, call call 911. You should be able to tell. Like, if somebody's like, oh, that kind of hurt my neck, you don't have to call 911. Right. You could call. Here's the other thing. If we're saying don't call 911, that doesn't mean, like, don't alert anybody. Right. But there are, there's a, a, your police have their own phone number. Your local police have their own phone number. They do. Look it up and call that, the non-emergency number. Right. Uh, and then, obviously, the last category is some sort of uh, crime being committed, violence being committed. Sure. Call 911. Yeah. So that's like no one's going to argue with that. I think so. Okay. There are plenty of instances where you shouldn't call 911, and yet people reliably call 911 for stuff like this. And I think that's because it's been drilled into everyone's head. It's kind of a double edged sword. You, you can't drill that into everyone's head. 911, 911. All you got to do is call 911 mm-hmm. and then not expect to get some cat stuck in the tree calls. You keep going back to that well. We actually had, did that when I was a kid. Did you? You called 911 for that? Well, you know the funny story? It's not very funny to okay. my dad, but uh, we had a cat stuck in a tree. Okay. My dad went up, and he got stuck in the tree. And he just climbed up too high? Yeah. And he got freaked out? I think so. That's really I mean, I was a kid, so, you know, they weren't saying, your father's very afraid <laughs> and has screwed up. Right. Uh, I was just a kid kind of like, well, now dad's up there, and now there's firemen here helping my dad out of a tree. Right. <laughs> Cats and dads get stuck in trees. Yeah, and looking back, I think that's totally probably what happened. Sure. I think he got he way up down. there and was freaked out. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's well, cute. I'll have to ask him about that one day. Um, okay, so your dad's stuck in a tree. I would say that's a call 911 situation. <laughs> so, yeah. Cat's stuck in a tree, no. Uh-huh. Unless you live in Pleasantville, don't call 911 for that. Yeah, that's true. Um, if you have a question ab- about the speeding ticket you got the other day, that's not a call that you would place through 911. Again, no. you can just call. There's even a number on the back of the ticket. Don't yeah. be dumb, okay? Hey, bringing that back? Just for that second. Okay. What else, Chuck? Oh, of course, anything dealing with your animals unless – well, I'm not even going to say that. What? I was going to say if there's an animal attacking someone. Yeah, you would call 911. You call 911 for sure. that. Come out and shoot this dog. <laughs> Basically, it could be rabid. It's terrible. Call Hectate out. Uh, but otherwise, if the cat in the tree lost animals, injured animals, uh, noisy neighbors – I love that Dave puts power outage in here, and in parentheses, call your power company. Right. (laughs) It's that last one, I think, is a little, it kind of opens a can of worms, and that is the suspicious person thing. All right. Because, uh, you know, they say to call for suspicious activity, Mm -hmm. which theoretically is a suspicious person. Right. I think the distinction is, uh, and what we see, and we'll get into this later, racial biases, you know, people in neighborhoods calling the cops on someone because they're black and walking down my street. Right. Which happens. Right. Uh, that is not a suspicious person. Mm-hmm. Um, even, I mean, if there's nothing going on, I know people try to justify it, but then local police say, you know, hey, always call us if you think something might be going on. Right. And that's where it gets dodgy because that comes down to a human being's perception. So it can be very tilted. As Dave puts it, he he put it a couple of ways that I thought were pretty smart. He said people aren't suspicious, behavior is suspicious. Yeah, and they say specifically to call nine one for suspicious activities. Right. But again, these are people, so it's just such a weird fine line you're walking there. The other little litmus test that I've seen is stop just for a second. Because this is suspicious behavior, you see somebody like breaking into a car, like assaulting somebody, that's that's beyond suspicious. That's like the act. That's the act. Um, that's a crime being committed. So you have a second when you see a suspicious person to stop and think like, would I would I call 911 if this person were white? Right. Or if you're a black person doing this, say, would I call 911 if this person were black? And if the answer is no, then maybe you shouldn't call. Maybe they're not right. acting that suspiciously. Yeah, it's just interesting on these Facebook neighborhood pages it's kind of evenly divided between people saying, uh, don't call 911 for this. This is just a guy going door to door, perhaps. Right. Uh, other people saying, no, you know what? If it's 945 or 10 o'clock at night and someone's knocking on your door yeah. in our neighborhood. That seems like suspicious Maybe behavior. you should call the cops and let them work it out. And for the cops, they say, you know, call us. That doesn't mean we're going to dispatch eight cars to your home. But we might work you through the situation mm-hmm. and it's all going to be fine. Yes. But this is the only one where I thought was a little bit like you shouldn't just say, like, don't call 911 when you see a suspicious person. No, you certainly shouldn't say that. At the same time, though, I think one of the big hesitations for calling 911 these days is, like, the either the increase or the increase in reporting of mm-hmm. people, innocent people, yeah. who had 911 called on them being killed yeah. by the cops. Exactly. 
that and that death would not have happened. Their death wouldn't have happened, right? Had a, a person been suspicious of them and, mm-hmm. and called nine one one, and the fact you know when when news of something like that gets out, it will make you second guess that kind of thing. Like you're for sure you're it it makes you realize you're bringing like people who are armed and jumpy mm-hmm. out to a situation where it's just somebody walking around or whatever. And when you look at it from that respect, it it can make you second-guess the whole thing. Yeah, and things can look – it can look like potential malfeasance that's not, you know, like a lot of people – you see a lot of people saying, well, I think someone's casing my house um, because a car pulled into my driveway and sat there for two minutes. They asked me if I wanted to know more about Sierra Club. (laughs) (laughs) Or someone stopped and was taking pictures of my house, like – you never know. Somebody might be taking picture of the uh, oak tree that they're trying to learn about, mm-hmm. or <laughs> yeah. or just looking up something on their phone and standing in the direction of your house. Right. Nine times out of ten, they're trying to figure out the more about tree. the oak tree near your house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. You know. No, I'm with you. But it's, anyway, it's, it's just that's it's where it gets a little dodgy for sure. And we'll have statistics uh, statistics <laughs> later on about yeah. actual racial bias because it's real. Sure. Okay. Moving on. You want to take a little break after that? It seems like a good spot. Oh, I think I do. Okay. Well, everybody, we're taking a rare Josh break, <laughs> and we'll be right back. Stuff you should know. Okay, we're back. That Josh break was invigorating. I wasn't doing anything. I was just taking a picture of your oak tree. Will you get off my back? <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. What kind of oak is that, sir? Uh, there's only one kind of oak. <laughs> no, Atlanta. I know there's a bunch of different oaks. Yeah. Everyone in Ireland is like, no, that's not true. <laughs> uh, while we're mentioning calling 911, though, um, you can get arrested. It is a crime to prank call 911. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Or to swat. It's called swatting. That's a bit, I think that deserves its own podcast. Maybe, because there was some some guy got killed, right, from a swatting incident. Yeah, I think it's happened more than once. Yeah, that's serious stuff. If you don't know what swatting is, we'll just give you the, the 411 on this <laughs> abuse of 911. Man, I love myself sometimes. That's great. Um, so swatting is where you are a hacker, right? Mm-hmm. And you can disguise the number that you're coming, you're calling from, uh, to make it look like you're calling from a house that you want the cops to go to. Right. And you basically say, like, I'm in this house and I'm holding hostages, and what are you going to do about it, Johnny Law? Yeah. And the law comes out, and usually SWAT, I shouldn't say usually, in some cases, the SWAT team will actually enter this house Mm -hmm. where people who have no idea what's going on are. Right. And maybe that the people who have been SWATed, you know— said something mean to the to the guy who, you know, called the SWAT team out on him. But it's basically, it's not like saying, like, there's a, I think there's a hostage situation in this house. It's I'm the guy holding the right. hostages, and here's where I you am. You something mean, like, and SWAT teams stink. Right, exactly. <laughs> so the SWAT team's like, we're going to go kill that right. guy. I'll bet you would never in a million years bring your SWAT team out. <laughs> and whatever you do, don't come in guns blazing. <laughs> right. Which we're joking about something that's really happened. Sure. So, like, I really think we need to talk at least a short stuff. I think so. We'll look into it a little further. We'll do one on swatting and one on doxing. Okay. The two weird new things that people do now. Right. But but swatting is 
definitely a crime. Yes. Okay. Also, so that you don't make 911 feel like, I think this is great. This is almost like a public service announcement mm-hmm. that we're in the midst of. Yeah, we do these. So you um, you don't get in trouble with the 911, so they don't think that you're pranking them mm-hmm. when you're not. If you ever call 911 accidentally mm-hmm. or say your kid does or whatever, mm-hmm. you do not want to hang up the phone. Yeah, I did that a few years ago, I feel like. I accidentally called 911 because mm-hmm. I think cell phones have a feature that it, it enacted like an automatic call by accident. Right. And I saw it and I went, oh, crap, and I hung up. <laughs> right. And I got a call back like in a second. That's great. Ideally, you should. Yeah. Yumi has a great story from when she was a kid. She um, got scared. Uh, I can't remember something about her grandmother, who was perfectly fine, but she called 911 and got scared when 911 answered and hung up. And they kept calling back and she kept hanging up. That's very cute. So they came out to the house. (laughs) Yeah. A little welfare check. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Um, But you don't want to do that. Don't follow the Yumi model of 911. Like just stay on the phone and be like, I'm really sorry. This is an accidental call. And I'm definitely not the bad guy pretending that this is an accidental call. Make right. sure you say that, too. My name is Timmy. I'm five. <laughs> right. It's all good. My name is Little Boy <laughs> with brown hair. So I think the history is fairly interesting um, because England started 9, not 911, no. but their version, which is 999, way back in 1937 in London. I didn't know this. Uh, I didn't know it either, but they, they were the first city in the world that created the three-digit model. Uh, apparently, as the story goes, there was a fire in downtown London, and people tried to get through the fire department, and they were put on hold and switched around. And so they said the town crier came out and said 999 is the answer. Yeah, which – so 999, it's easy to remember. Sure. Um, I guess no one else was using 999 at the time. But this is back in the day of rotary phones, right? Oh, yeah. So that that's actually that was a, a it was a burden to dial nine 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 with a rotary dial one, phone. One. Should have been for sure. Yeah, I just thought that was kind of clumsy of them. A little bit clumsy of the Brits. Uh, but let me see here. I think it was a twelve mile radius around London at first. After World War Two, and went wider, mm-hmm. uh, and because you know Britain liked to do a little world conquering. You can find 999 in cities all over the world. Yeah. Where London has, or where England has left their uh, imprint. (laughs) That's a way to put it for sure. Yeah. Um, And the U.S., of course, said, well, we're not going to let the Brits outdo us. You're going to do Brexit? Hold my beer. Yeah, we're going to wait 20-something years and (laughs) do it ourselves. Right, exactly. So um, I think in 1957, the Fire Chiefs Association— Sorry, the National Association of Fire Chiefs. I was way off. Um, they said, hey, we should come up with an easy-to-remember three-digit number for people to report fires. And other people said, hey, that's a great idea. We'll, we'll, we'll do that to report emergencies. Mm-hmm. And the Fire Chiefs Association said, no, just fires. Yeah, right. Luckily, no one listened to them. Well, they didn't listen to the just fire part. That's right. Um, And then a couple of years after that, or maybe uh, yeah, a few years later, the um, National Academy of Sciences said, this is actually a really good idea. We should do this for calling ambulances too. And then finally, um, a presidential commission on law enforcement and the administration of justice said, no, all emergencies should have a three-digit easy-to-remember number. That's right. So the FCC says – 
who should we get in touch with here? How about AT&T? Yeah. Because these were the days of uh, mm-hmm. phone monopolies. Right. Or phone monopoly. Mm-hmm. It was just one, right? Uh, no, I think... When did they break up the phone companies? Uh, I think it was before this. Okay. Because they broke them up into the different bells, right? Yeah. Where they were all the different bells part of one big phone company? That's right. The Liberty Which Bell, one? I just said two different things. The Liberty Bell, the Southern Bell. Yeah. Bell from uh, Pacific Bell. Pacific Bell, the sure. Bell from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> right. All the bells. Albuquerque Bell. Sure. Why not? You can ring my bell. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good song. It's a good one. <laughs> but I think more, more, more by Andrea True Connection is far better. <laughs> What's that? Virtually the same thing, but just a better better song. Oh, okay. They got in touch with AT&T, and they said, uh, can you help us out with this? Apparently, AT&T is the one that chose 911 uh, because it hadn't been used yet, which is kind of the first stumbling block. Again, the rotary dial. Rotary dial, that was, 911's a lot better than 999. Way be- it's It's two-thirds better. It is two-thirds better. And it was easy to remember, and, you know, I think they had set up at this point already 411 in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. So they just kind of extended that idea of right. the, the something 11. Right. So um, the first, this really surprised me, the first um, 911 call that was ever placed in the United States. New York City. You would think so. Washington, D.C. No. Chicago. What else you got? Uh, Chicago. You already said that one. Okay, I don't know. What about Los Angeles? Yeah, why not? What about Albuquerque? They're doing fine. Okay, no, none of those are correct. <laughs> Haleyville, Alabama was the site of the very first 911 call. Yeah, that's a good little trivia question, I think. That is pedal to the metal. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I recently watched, uh, I had recorded all those Jeopardy shows with mm-hmm. uh, Ken Jennings on there, the, the Champions sure. run. Mm-hmm. That was some of the better TV I'd seen in a while. Really good stuff. Oh, yeah? Well, I mean, if you're a Jeopardy fan, it was as good as it gets. Like the was, smartest competitors yeah. and like big time drama because they, you know, they had to bring it on those daily doubles. It wasn't like a regular show. Mm-hmm. Like they were daily doubling on like $20,000 and stuff. Ooh. Like, it was really tense. Wow. Like, good drama. Yeah. It was so cool. Because I think Ken knew that other guy, the Holtzheltzer guy, was a was a gambler, mm-hmm. and he made his name for really just going all in. Mm-hmm. And Ken knew this, so he had to do the same. Well, sure. In order to beat these chumps. If you're playing a gambler, you get dragged into gambling whether you want to gamble or Bring not. Bring it in there. You know? It's good stuff. Anyway, good trivia question. It's probably been on Jeopardy. Haleyville, Alabama did. It was, it was kind of a publicity stunt. It well, sounds like they. So the little uh, the little phone company there, the Alabama Telephony Co., um, basically said, "It's pretty funny." AT and T is is about to do this. They're about to launch this nine one one system. We want to jump on it and adopt it first. So we're going to set this up as fast as we can. Because here's the thing: we'll find out more about this in a minute. But there's no national nine one one system. Yeah, all. Everywhere in the United States, 911 reaches an emergency dispatcher mm-hmm. or an emergency operator, but each system is local, regional at best. Right. Um, so Haleyville, Alabama could jump on this and set up their own system and get started, and that's exactly what they did. That's right. February of 1968, mm-hmm. they had a state senator named Rankin Fight. He dialed 911 uh, as a, you know, obviously, is this like a photo op or video op? 
In other words, there wasn't an emergency. <laughs> sure. It's like, man, what a coincidence that the state senator had the first emergency. And happened to be standing next to the special phone. <laughs> That's right. They had a special bat phone, a red phone, mm-hmm. and uh, I think an Alabama congressman was on the other end at the police station. Congressman Tom Bevel, known as the Pork King. Really? Not just the Alabama Pork King, the Pork the King pork of king. Congress. And the state senator said, what are you, Pork King, what are you doing at the police station? I've got an emergency. And he said, are we really going to do this bit? (laughs) (laughs) I would force whoever's on the other line to do it. So, yeah, it was all just a big show to say, hey, we did it first. (laughs) Uh, They did it a week later. Uh, They they still have a big festival every year, too. Sure. A 911 festival. I wonder if they reenact this this famous phone call. (laughs) Oh, man, if we could play those two parts. I'm the pork king. How great would that be? Forget drunk history. Just put us up there. That's cool. Um, and when I say forget drunk history, I mean we very much want to be on it. <laughs> Are we still pursuing that? No, I mean just by occasionally yelling out of my window every now and then. Okay. So Why not say, us? The crickets are deafening. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised no one said like, hey, this is a natural fit. These guys are great storytellers about history. They can get drunk with the best of them. Well, we've been saying this for years. No one's, no one's listening. So uh, Nome, Alaska, about a week later, did the same thing and were the second city. And then throughout the 70s and 80s, it kind of started rolling out. But it takes a while to get this kind of thing going. It does because, again, it's a local, again, at best, regional system, <laughs> okay? And your local um, city might not have the money to put in a new telecommunications system. Yeah to be used for emergency services. Um, And at first, you know, cities that were a little more flush with cash because they had a larger tax base had the money to roll these out. So as expected, aside from Haleyville and Nome, it was mostly like large metropolitan areas that were starting to roll out the the earliest 911 systems. But the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, uh, which was the foundation based on Johnson & Johnson's Mm -hmm. company, they took an early interest in this and started handing out grants to rural areas to set up their own 911 systems. So, ironically, Haleyville, Alabama, had it not jumped on it, probably still wouldn't have a 911 system were Maybe. it not for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation doling out grants to, like, you know, small towns around the country for their own. Yeah, because they were like, you know what? People call 911. They go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. They can be using Johnson & Johnson products. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. I'm not being overly cynical. I'm sure that, you know, 911 is probably good for the Band-Aid business. I would guess so. And baby shampoo? Yeah, because if you can't get if you can't get a, an ambulance to that person, they're going to croak. But if no you get the ambulance to them, right. You don't need Band-Aids when you're dead. Nope. That's that's just like a fact of of death. Mm-hmm. But if you survive, you're going to need a lot of Band-Aids depending right. on what you've done to yourself. That's right. Uh, here's some stats for you. By 1976, when I was five years old, mm-hmm. only 17% of the U.S. had 911. You want to know a surprising fact? 1976, I was just born. Well, you probably weren't covered by 911. Again, not until 1989. Well, uh, by 1987, only 50% of the country, which is, uh, that's kind of, uh, that's pretty late. I would have thought we would have had a lot more of the country covered by then. For sure, you would think so. And it wasn't until 99, actually, Chuck, that um, the that 911 officially became the emergency number for everywhere in America. 
1999. Bill Clinton said, let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) He said, what about 999? And they went, Bill. Yeah, please. Wrong country. Uh, Canada, speaking of wrong countries, they are very much the right country because they got on board with 911 as well. That's absolutely true, Chuck. Because they were like, why, why make things too difficult? You know, that's a great question, Canada, and I think the answer to that is you shouldn't make things too difficult. Just kind of go with the flow. Should go we with take the another American break or should we flow. do some more stuff here? I was thinking maybe another break. Okay. Are you okay with that? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. What about you listeners? Yes. You're okay, right. good. Well, we'll be right back. Stuff you should know. Okay, Chuck, let's talk about how it actually works. Yeah, in the early days, uh, obviously it was all landline telephones. So when your call got routed mm-hmm. to this switchboard, which was a 911 switchboard dedicated to that, they would patch you across phone lines that were dedicated to 911 mm-hmm. to what's called a PSAP, a public safety answering point. And at the time, they were uh, a lot of times like in the fire department or in the police station. Right. So they could just turn in their chair and be like, Sarge, dispatch some people to this address. We got a suspicious person staring at oak trees. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Again. Right. And um, like like today, a 911 dispatcher is a highly trained, highly skilled person. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's like a flight attendant. Mm -hmm. Remember when we learned like flight attendants are actually trained to save your life in an emergency and they just hand out peanuts as like a side thing? Right. Um, This is basically the same thing with the 911 operator call taker. They know how to do a lot of stuff, but the earliest ones just knew how to answer the phone, take down your info, and then turn around and send it off to the fire department or the police department or, you know, the paramedics or something like that, you know? They'd be like, okay, I got to go. All right, I'll see you. Bye. Right. And then they would get off the phone. And that evolved to the call center. Um, That evolved to what was called Enhanced 911, which was uh, in the 1970s, again, driven by telecom advancing with Mm AT&T with new technologies. They developed uh, ANI and ALI, automatic number identification and location identification. A&I is just caller ID. That's what everybody calls caller ID. Yeah. Remember those cute little boxes that oh, you could God, plug your phone best. line into? Sat and on your little table. Show you in some little <laughs> terrible readout. Yeah. Basically dot matrix readout. Yep. Who was calling? Yep. Pretty neat. And Pretty then it, it was on your handheld cordless phone. Right. You could look at it. And that was like, whoa, if we're living in the future. Rich. Or the answering machine now is digital. We don't need those tiny tapes. Yeah, it's true. That was like a big revolution, too. That was huge. Amazing. Because you could leave as long a message as you wanted now. Yeah. But you couldn't get that clever, nobody's home, nobody's home. Sure, you're still recording your outgoing message. Right. You could sing it, but they actually had that tape you could buy that you could put oh, really? in really? Yeah. <laughs> there was one that was like a whole mixtape of them. Of just like gag answers? Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. You don't remember that? Not really. There was a, a very famous ad that ran. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, delight your friends. Basically, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty funny. 
Um, so this enhanced 911 system, the automatic number and the automatic locator, that was a, a big deal because now all of a sudden, if you were a um, call taker for 911 and a call came up, on your little computer screen, it said what the number was and what the address was. And because everybody was calling from landlines, mm -hmm. you knew exactly where that person was who needed help. That's right. It saved a bunch of time. It was a very huge life-saving measure. Yeah. I mean, when you think about people in an emergency, could be everything from crippling fear, keeping you from even knowing where you are, yeah. to having been hit on the head and not being able to say where you are. Yeah, or you just can't speak. Yeah, and so that really, imagine that they spend a lot of time sometimes just trying to get through that first step of where are you. Right. So this was an enormous leap forward. And in the 70s and 80s, it really kind of cemented how helpful and life-saving this 911 system could be. And then cell phones came along, and the rest of us kind of leapfrogged right over 911 because the cell phone carriers didn't have ANI and ALI. It, when, when you call 911, still to this day, mm -hmm. from a cell phone, it does not come up what your number is or where you are in any specific way. And so Congress, or at least the FCC, said um, – hey, we need you guys to do something. Like, there's got to be something. It just can't be like, you know, you have no idea where this person is in the country. Yeah. Because part of the other thing about the automatic locator uh, that, that they had originally with 911 in the mm -hmm. 70s and 80s is it would route you to the closest um, public safety answering point. Right. So that would be saving time, too, because the person you're talking to is in the same area as you and, and knows the area you're talking about and can more quickly dispatch people. Right. With and cell phones, it's not the case. Yeah, and Dave makes a good point. Even if they could have located, like, where your cell phone plan was or your phone was activated, mm -hmm. uh, you, you you don't have to live in the city where that is. Right. You I have be friends calling that have L.A. Them. numbers that yeah. work in the film industry here right. just because that stupid L.A. 310 or 323 makes them look like a more legitimate hire. Just so cool. <laughs> it's so cool and so dumb. Right. But yeah, they would be like, you're in Atlanta? It says you're in Los Angeles. Is this a prank? Are you swatting me? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the so the FCC said, okay, you guys need to do something. So what they did was they came up with um, a triangulation where the closest cell phone tower's address Came, comes up when you yeah, call. It's a good start. It is a good start, but <clears throat> if you're out in the sticks, yeah. the closest cell phone tower might be miles and miles and miles away. It's true. And even if it's not miles away, let's say it's a football field away. Well, if you're in a dense, um, densely populated area. Yeah, and you're bleeding out. Sure. It doesn't help. It does not help at all. But it gets you a little bit closer and it helps to, to transfer your call or to route your call to the closest PSAP. Yeah. Okay. And then the other thing that they have them do now phase two of this enhanced wireless enhanced 911 is um, it, it gives your GPS coordinates. Right. Which is so 90s, it's ridiculous. It is. And it's, anyone, it's like MapQuest. <laughs> anyone who's ever waited on a ride chair uh, that thought you were down the street from where you were mm -hmm. knows how accurate that GPS can be. Well, it's, still, that's, it's still great, but... That's way more accurate than what 911's working with. Well, they're just working with longitude and latitude points, right? Yeah. One of the big... One of the big um, qualities, a, a quality to have as a 911 operator is to be able to quickly translate longitude and latitude coordinates, GPS coordinates, mm -hmm. into like Google Maps to get an address really fast. And a smooth, sexy voice. Sure. 
Like Barry White <laughs> with fingers of fury. Or like Halle Berry. With who was, Barry White's fingers. <laughs> she, uh, did you see that movie, The Call? No. She played a 911 uh, call uh, specialist mm-hmm. in a movie, a thriller. It was good. Was it? wasn't great. Yeah, it was good. Okay. The Brad Anderson directed it. He's like a really quality director. Yeah, I know that name. And it seemed war. like this sort of, from what? <laughs> what? You going to call me out on that? I didn't hear you. From what? From where? Oh, <laughs> I don't get what you mean. From where? Like what oh. other? Oh, what other movies has he directed? Yeah. He directed a, a scary movie called Session Nine. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, then this guy's one of my favorites of all time. You know that movie? That's what, it's a, one of the best horror movies ever made. Yeah. It's a, I'm a fan of Brad Anderson because he has a range of genres. Mm-hmm. Like one of his early movies is this kind of spacey rom-com called Four Happy Christmas Accidents Christmas. that was great. <laughs> uh, Happy Accidents? Yeah, really good with Marissa Tomei and Vincent D'Onofrio, but it had this, it was a rom-com with a sort of a, a uh, a bit of a sci-fi twist to it. Oh, okay. And he did Trans-Siberian. He's, he's done, he did Next Stop Wonderland was one of his first little indies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he does, it's unusual for a director to tackle all these weird or different genres. That's neat. Disparate genres. Well, you had me at session nine. Yeah, The Call is, is a good, you know, popcorn movie. I highly recommend it. Okay, I'll check it out. Halle Berry's a call center person, and uh, that's all I'll say. Hey, she's quality. She's a quality actress. She is. But the fact that I, I had never even heard of this movie sure. really made me suspicious. It did pretty well. Okay. It wasn't a massive hit, but it did like 60 million bucks. But that's really surprising. Like, I'm very aware <laughs> of <laughs> movies. Like, I'll, I'll know what the movie's about, and yeah. I've never seen it. Not the even call. seen a preview. I'll just kind of know. Sure. So I'm I'm surprised. Yeah. Okay. I, I recommend it. I'll check it out. Yeah. I mean, it's no uh, Black Coat's Daughter, but... <laughs> Man, that's a good one, too. <laughs> so where are we now? We are now at texting to 911. Oh, wait. Is... Hold on. I want to drive this home real quick. Okay. Okay. Drive it home. The, the 1996 FCC rule mm-hmm. that says you have to have a cell phone tower tell 911 its address... Mm-hmm. The closest one to your cell phone. Mm-hmm. And then give the GPS coordinates yeah. for wherever that cell phone, they think the cell phone is. Uh-huh. That's the 911 system that's in place nationwide today in yeah. 2020. That's why they ask you from a cell phone, yeah. who are you and where are you, just like they did in the early days. Right. And this is a problem because, like you said earlier, 80% of 911 calls in the United States mm-hmm. are made from cell phones. And 911 does not know where you are unless you tell them. Yeah, but it's also um, balanced out by the fact that They're, they you have really that, want to help. Well, you have that cell phone right there and immediately. So yeah, yeah. That, that's remember the true. old days, you're like, let me find a payphone, let me go knock on someone's door. That's true. And be and ask about their oak tree, and hopefully, I won't get shot. Right. Um, so people are calling right away. So I would think that kind of counterbalances the clumsiness. I, yes. Of location. I think you're right, Chuck. We'll see. Boy, you really swooped in there. I say we'll see as if there's some report coming out. <laughs> the thing is, though, is there there people have figured out the people, the powers that be who are concerned with 911 and its system mm-hmm. are well aware of this major flaw. Yeah. And our work have figured out how to how to update it. It's just now we're in the process of rolling out updates. Well, and then privacy advocates are going to be like, what? You're going to like 
locate every single person with the cell phone and know where they are at all times. Right. And Amazon and Apple are like, dude, we, we already yeah, know exactly. that. It's just 911 <laughs> is the only one who doesn't know where you are at all times, yeah, which funny. is a problem. <laughs> it's funny. I saw um, a Wired article from 1998 that was like wringing its hands like, oh, you know, privacy advocates are worried that they may be able to track the movement of cell phone users based on this information that <laughs> 911 gets now. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, maybe, I don't know. We'll right. have to see. We'll see what the future holds. <laughs> yeah. So texting to 911 is the latest uh, technology. Uh, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago in Iowa, in Blackhawk, they were the first jurisdiction to offer this service. And it's still kind of coming out. I think um, a couple of years ago, they all 50 states had text capability, but um, it's not everywhere in each state. Yeah, exactly. It's very and sparse. It's though. just text. I love Dave points out you can't send emojis. Um, yeah. Like <laughs> need help emoji. Right. Yeah. But you can't send text and video, and that kind of thing would be super helpful, I think. Right. So this is where we are in the next generation. It's literally called Next Generation 911, NG 911. And it's where 911 finally catches up to every other um, telecom company and device manufacturer already is. And it basically uses all the information from the Internet of Things that lets people know exactly where you are. Right. Not just like what your address is, what floor of a building you happen to be sitting on right mm-hmm. now. Um, all of that information is now going to be funneled to 911 when you call because 911 is finally abandoning landlines. Landline telecom. That's what they, they're dealing with currently. Yeah. They're going over to VOIP. So 911 will be using a secure internet connection in the near future. And when they get to that point, um, they will be able to accept um, video, right. photos, like this is the guy that's that's attacking the lady, mm-hmm. hurry up, that kind of thing. And then they'll also be able to, because they're setting up a separate wireless broadband network just for first responders called FirstNet. Yeah, that's going to be a big deal. And so 911 will be able to say, hey, here's a photo of the guy that they're that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they can't do that now. As mind-boggling as it is, they cannot do that. Yeah, I mean, just to have a dedicated wireless network mm-hmm. cuts down on, uh, I imagine, interference and potential hacking. Plus, in a disaster, if you're out there in the field, you are using your own wireless device that's on the public broadband mm-hmm. right now. And so if the public broadband goes down because there's so many people trying to use it to, to find out what's going on in, like, an earthquake or something, yeah. like, the first responders suffer from that, too. So this separate broadband network just for first responders won't crash right. in the event of a disaster. Yeah, and speaking of first responders, uh, I think it's kind of time we join certain people in saying call center uh, employees are first responders. Are people saying they're not? Well, I don't think they're generally thought of as first responders hmm. if you work at a call center. Because they just sit around? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but they are literally the first and most important first thing that happens sure. in an emergency. And like you said earlier, they are trained to and walk people through CPR, Heimlich, uh, how to deliver a baby, mm-hmm. how to handle an active shooter, uh, suicide, domestic abuse. Um, if you're a kid and you're scared because grandma fell over. Mm-hmm like how to handle children, like they're really skilled. And I think it's a shame that like, I feel like the only time you hear about 911 call center uh, 
responders is when there's a bad one and and you release those calls right. and everyone's horrified yeah at you know and it is it's awful but those are clearly like the standouts I guess not yeah. standouts. The standouts are all the good employees. <laughs> there have been some doozies for sure. Yeah. I read about one where somebody called in um, a wildfire in Oregon. Oregon. Sorry, Oregon. <laughs> Oregon. Um, and uh, the 911 operator said, what you're seeing is probably just the play of light on sunlight on the fog. Right. It was like, how would you even know that? You're in a call center. I'm looking right at this thing. It's a wildfire. And, like, they, they didn't dispatch anybody. Yeah. And, um, like, a half hour or 20 minutes later, somebody else called it in. And by this time, it was, like, raging. Um, there was the one lady drowning in her car, too. That one was horrific. I didn't hear about that one. She was in her car that was going down. And the, I think, I don't remember exactly what happened, but she was freaking out. Yeah. And I think the 911 person was just sort of dismissive and it was really and kind of rude even. Wow. But you know, that makes the news. Right. Not the six hundred and fifty thousand calls a day that go through and our lives are saved. Like No, no, ab- absolutely. That's absolutely true. That's a great point. Um there are plenty of stories though of people like of them just like straight up doing hero stuff. Yeah. Going above and beyond. You should see Halle Berry in this movie. <laughs> and one of the things that can happen is as hard, as much as you're trained to not let it happen, mm-hmm. uh, you can become emotionally invested in a call. Totally. And I've read that some some operators are just fine at leaving it at the door, at mm-hmm. least appearing to leave it at the door, but others can suffer um, burnout. PTSD, yeah, um, and one of the big things that I saw that's a huge psychological problem for nine one one operators is that there can very frequently be no resolution. Right, they can be on the phone with somebody who is like holding someone hostage and they're trying to mm-hmm. talk them down, and all of a sudden the cops come in and the line goes dead. They, if they're not good friends with the cops who came in, right, um, they may never find out what happened. Like, no idea. Um, They're talking someone through who's been shot or whatever to try to keep them alive and conscious. They have no idea what happened to that person. They have to take the next call. And that's a huge problem. There's no closure. And then sometimes there is closure. Like, if you're a 911 operator, you probably have been on the phone with somebody when they took their last breath. Right. When they were murdered, when Mm -hmm. they died, very, very scared. Right. That kind of stuff takes its toll on people. And that's a it, it can be a big problem. And there can be... Pretty frequent turnover among 911 dispatchers. It's a Halle Berry movie. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you. It's it's all there. Yeah, Uh, yeah, because even if they don't get closure on the work site, they could see it on the news that night. Be like, man, I took that call of this murder Yeah, or whatever. Pretty bad. Sure. Not a job for me. I don't think I could hack it either. And then practically speaking, there's like you have to be able to type really, really fast Mm -hmm. with a high level of accuracy while somebody's telling you other information. Yeah, I would. Like you might be taking info in and you have to be chatting with, you know, a cop on IM Mm -hmm. who you're sending out while you're also taking the description from the other person. You're just going back and forth. Yeah, you got to be able to compartmentalize and multitask. Yeah. None of those things are my specialty. No. Uh, If you're wondering, you pay for 911. If you have a phone bill, mm-hmm. uh, cell phone bills included, uh, it's a little little surcharge there. So uh, that's outrageous. Just scream socialism, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and as far as those statistics we talked about earlier about the racial bias, 
Um, of course, if you were a fan of Public Enemy, you remember the great, great song, 911 is a Joke. That's a good one. Flavor Flav. Yeah. Uh, there was a study done by the ACLU in 2013. Uh, residents of Grand Crossing, this is a Chicago study, mm-hmm. uh, African-American neighborhood on the south side, waited 11 minutes for a cop to come after a priority call, um, two and a half minutes for the predominantly white neighborhood of Jefferson Park. Um, and response times in that were four and a half times slower in the black community. Uh, and there's, you know, like I mentioned earlier with the uh, people calling 911 on, you know, just an African-American person mm-hmm. living their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been cases where people ended up dead because of that right. uh, after escalation. And that's just like a pure tragedy. For sure. Um, there is, a, there are like... When you have something this massive and huge and it involves people at like their worst moment of their life, a lot of stuff is going to kind of come out of it. It's, there's a lot to 911, a lot of legends and myths and everything. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I saw that everyone seems to know about is that if you call 911 and pretend you're ordering a pizza, <laughs> they will understand that you are in a position where you can't talk and they'll dispatch the police. Supposedly, that's a myth, <laughs> but it makes total sense, doesn't it? You've heard that before? I was just, just thinking of Die Hard. Oh, I don't remember that. There was that line where he's calling the 911 dispatcher. Uh-huh. Well, I guess, I don't even think it was. I think it was an actual cop mm-hmm. on the other end. And she's like, calm down, sir, and, uh, you know, it's not an emergency, whatever. And he said, what do you think I'm doing, ordering a pizza? Oh, yeah, that's right. And that might have been a reference to that. Maybe so. So what are you saying again? The urban legend is that if you like, let's say there's there's somebody who's like got a gun on you, if you can somehow get it to the point where you're like, hey, let's order a pizza right now. You could call nine one one and say, hey, I'd like to order a pizza. And that's code for Here's my address. And then yeah, and that nine one one will get what's going on and send the cops out. Apparently, that's, that's not true. Okay, but there there is there's another there was an urban legend I saw in the UK with nine 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 that if you um, call and you don't say anything that they will send someone out and i think that is kind of widely believed over here in the u.s too apparently in the uk that is true but it's going to send you through a series of prompts if you don't respond Uh um and if you press five five it will you will be confirming that yes you there's an emergency and you just can't talk right now and they will send people out if you don't press five five then they they won't. It'll just take it as like a, a accidental call. Well, and that's the big benefit. I don't even think we kind of brought up about texting to nine one one because you might think like, ugh, because because people want to text millennials. But there are plenty of cases where you can't talk. Mm-hmm. You're uh, maybe in a domestic uh, dispute, or if you're hearing, and you're impaired. hiding in a closet, or if you're hearing impaired, or if you've been kidnapped and don't want to use your voice out loud or yeah. you're a scared child, like right. plenty of great cases to be made for texting. And since text to 911 isn't everywhere, uh, the FCC has a law that if your telecom carrier doesn't um, doesn't have text to 911, they have an immediate bounce back that says, like, you can't do that. Right. You have to call 911. Yeah, which is, that's pretty valuable. It is. And one last thing. If you find an old phone that has a charge in it, even if it hasn't been, had service for 20 years, you can dial 911. You will be connected. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Every single phone that is that is in operation dials 911 for free. Yeah, I like that. I do too, man. I love 911. 
I think Kurt Vonnegut said there's no uh, no greater display of humanity than seeing a fire truck go down the street with its sirens blazing. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That sounds like something you'd say. Interesting. Uh, well, if you want to know more about Kurt Vonnegut, you can just type that into the search bar at How Stuff Works, and who knows what that'll bring up. Who knows? Uh, and since I said that, it's time for listener mail. Uh, this is a response when we asked for examples of racism in today's military, and we heard from a range of people, I have to say, uh, from this guy who... Uh, to the other guy. To the other guy. <laughs> this guy said, I'll just tell you what this guy said in a minute, but other people have said that, yeah, they've seen some pretty bad racist stuff in the military, mm-hmm. but they're isolated incidences just like in the real world. Gotcha. But this is what uh, Matthew Applewhite says. Uh, start off, I'm a white guy. I can't speak on everyone's experience while in the service, but... During my four years, I saw more camaraderie between a mix of races than I ever see in my real life. It seems like this is the response that we got the most. The most, I think you're right. Uh, They thought us, oh, they taught us from the start in boot camp, uh, Marine Corps, that you're all nothing (laughs) and you will all become Marines. And with that in common, it gives the common ground between any race or nationality. Uh, They might often refer to African-American Marines as dark green implying, yes, they may have a different skin tone, but they're still green. And over the years, in and out of training, you learn that everyone endures the suck and the hard times together. Uh, And no one is above another. In the end, you learn uh, to trust the man to my left and right uh, with my life, no matter what his skin color. Uh, And ladies, too. They're female Marines. Sure. Uh, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Now saying all this, some uh, some, uh, prejudice from other people's upbringing do still remain. But most of the time, it is shot down very fast with harsh repercussions, and it is kept to a minimum. I made many friends from all walks of life that I would have never even imagined being so close to without the common ground we stood on or the hard times that we endured together. And that is from an avid listener named Matthew Applewhite. Thanks a lot, Matthew. Uh, We appreciate you letting us know. Thanks to everybody who wrote in to let us know. Virtually the same thing. Yeah, except for the couple of standouts. Yeah. Um, well, if you want to get in touch with us like Matthew did, you can go on to stuffyoushouldknow.com, and I think our social links are there. Who knows? But you can always get in touch with us via email at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.